0: Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. During President Trump's big trip, which he tweeted about regarding my big trip, exulting in that as on the day on which he departed, Well, during his big trip, of course, an Islamist terror attack targeting girls and young women in the United Kingdom took place at the end of a pop concert with an American young woman headliner. And it was designed to attack the girls and young women and others that attended this concert as they left the concert, as they departed the concert, the bomb was detonated at the Manchester Arena in Manchester, England, not to be confused with that movie Manchester by the Sea. But no, no Oscars for this. No Academy Awards for this. The so called Islamist state immediately took credit for it, <laughs> took blame for it, took credit for it, gloried in this monstrous, hellish attack. which is a little bit out of the ordinary. They normally are a little slower to take credit for such attacks. Oh, they're only too willing to take immediate credit for their monstrous beheadings and so forth. But as far as the actual terror attacks mass casualty attacks, they usually don't trumpet those quite as quickly as they did this one. The immediate toll from this attack was 22 dead with 59 wounded. 22 dead, the youngest being eight years of age. Two of those who died were mothers who were friends who were waiting for their daughters to come out of the arena. When the blast took place at this entrance, ticketing area, For this Manchester arena, British security, MI5, MI6, are involved in this. MI5, again, as I mentioned previously, is akin to our FBI, the focus on domestic security. Issues, whereas MI6 is more akin to the CIA with a focus on international or foreign. Well, instances like this involve both, and as such, should be involving both branches. And rest assured are what has been troubling has been the divulging of extremely sensitive information that has made its way across the sea to the United States of America and has been published by our extremely responsible major media elites thereby compromising the investigation, thereby giving information of the investigation to the terrorists, to the destroyers. And, of course, our major media elites and others, they can't control themselves. They can't help themselves. When they receive information, when they receive access to information They have to blurt it out there because if they don't, somebody else may beat them to it. So they have to. Motivated by what? By the greater good? Motivated by the welfare of the people? Motivated by a burning passion for the truth? No, motivated by greed. By greed by covetousness, by vanity, by arrogance, by selfishness, by power happiness. You know, all those things that they only too readily ascribe to the new president, and understandably so, but nonetheless, these are the very same motivators that compel them to engage in this extremely dishonorable, harmful activity. So, yes, there should be great blame laid at the feet of those who are responsible. for giving out this information, but there should be enormous blame put upon those who have so greedily disseminated it. While the Donald, the tweeter-in-chief, our president, Donald Trump, is on his big trip, His most recent stops have been in Brussels, Belgium, where he has addressed NATO. NATO, that 28-member nation, member state organization, which is organized for, you could say, common defense. And a... Pillar of that, a cornerstone of that, is what is referred to as Article 5. It's referred to as the one for all and all for one idea, concept. It's a commitment to mutual defense of member states by one another. So that if one or more are attacked, then all of the other member nations, member states, will come to their defense. Well, President Trump, in addition to speaking to NATO, has been addressing the European Union leaders, also in Brussels, Belgium. And he has take an issue with the NATO member nations and the European Union leaders for failing to keep their commitments of their financial responsibilities, their financial obligations to NATO, and so forth. Letting it fall so heavily upon the United States of America. And in his... Call, which has been you know, uh, portrayed in various unflattering ways, he has specified that these member nations need to provide a minimum of 2% of GDP of their gross domestic product. And they are not doing that. <laughs> United States of America not only has, of course, a much greater GDP, but also provides much more of it for defense-related issues. But then we need to because we are providing defense around the world. We have forces around the world. Yes, in the Middle East, they are, of course, loathingly referred to as occupation forces. (laughs) But we have forces in Germany and Japan and South Korea and around the world. And at all costs. The financial cost is not something to be dismissed. It has ramifications across the breadth and depth of the nation but certainly the vastly greater cost is the cost of lives lost. But it's curious as far as the kinds of things that you see the United States government do, the federal government as well as the state governments, what they have done over the decades, over the years, And some of it, you might say, is motivated by economic concerns. And some not so much. And I'll get to one example of that in just a little bit. But the president, while he was chastising the member nations of NATO and the European leaders... He did not explicitly endorse NATO's Article 5. He did not during the presidential campaign. He did not following taking office. And now you could say he has refused to when meeting with them. Now, his staff have said, no, no, we're, we're committed. And we... Uh, have the same commitment, the same resolve, so on and so forth as has been the case. Something that should perhaps be noted is this kind of a commitment, this kind of an obligation is something that the first president of the United States of America, George Washington, warned strenuously against entering into. That's right. George Washington, none other than George Washington, strenuously warned against entering into any such alliances that should obligate this nation for knee-jerk reaction defense of other nations. So you could say, well, our current president is just trying to rein things in a bit and uh, bring us back somewhat closer to that idea. But while President Trump was making these statements which were not terribly well received... He was also ordering the Justice Department of the United States of America to investigate the leaks of this extremely sensitive, most highly classified intelligence information to get to the bottom of it and to prosecute to the full extent of the law, those responsible for it. Well, we'll see what comes of that. Uh, Not going to be able to go prosecuting to the full extent of the law those that are not Americans. And, rest assured, we'll not go prosecuting to the full extent of the law those who published and disseminated the information once it had been released. But... I personally don't think this was entirely motivated by the fact of UK shutting down all information sharing with the United States of America. I don't think it was entirely based on that. I think that the president was extremely concerned and upset, to say, to put it extremely mildly about it, even apart from that. But I don't doubt that that nonetheless helped further motivate him to take action. As I mentioned previously, Robert Gates warned extremely recently of future terror attacks, that there would be more Terror attacks. And this was, I believe these statements were made uh, very shortly after this latest terror attack. But there have been all manner of terrorist attacks, such as vehicular terror attacks in Sweden and in France and so forth. And of course, this mass murder attempt in the United States of America. I haven't heard any more recent body count on that, but succeeded in murdering this one precious 18-year-old girl and very seriously injuring her 13-year-old sister in Times Square. Again, that supposedly was just a mass murder attempt, not terrorist. Well, it has the same result, doesn't it? It has the same effect. regardless what name you choose to ascribe to it and regardless of the affiliation or non-affiliation of those committing these acts. This meeting by Donald Trump with NATO and with the European Union leaders and his... Reticence to make a lockstep commitment to the NATO member nations is perhaps particularly interesting in light of the real politic lay of the land around this world and also. The involvements, the activities of the Russian Federation under Vladimir Putin, his regime, and Xi Jinping's communist Chinese regime. Let's just say, just hypothetically, completely hypothetically, but that North Korea launches a rocket with a nuclear warhead and strikes the United States somewhere. Would all of the member states, the member nations of NATO, rush to the aid, to the defense of the United States of America? I doubt it. (laughs) I question that. But as far as if the Russian bear should strike Ukraine, Poland, Germany, Finland, or such, can you envision? a scenario in which the United States would not step up to the defense of Europe and Scandinavia, of Western Europe and Eastern Europe, I really can't. If it is an extremely targeted, limited incursion on one border nation that was formerly enslaved under the Soviet Union, then I would not be surprised if the current president was extremely careful about making a response. Careful meaning slow and deliberate and careful in that sense. But if it was striking deeper (laughs) into NATO territory, deeper into Europe, I really cannot imagine that there wouldn't be a response swiftly forthcoming Of course, there's always the possibility that it's a war of words for a while. But if the United States of America is as concerned as it is, and understandably so, but is as concerned as Defense Secretary Mattis seems to be with regard to North Korea, having changed the tone from one where we are through with (laughs) the status quo in terms of how the United States of America has been dealing with North Korea by not dealing with North Korea, to now saying, wait a minute, oh my gosh, it's too dangerous, it's too hot, it's going to be too tragic on such an ultimate scale that essentially we can't do anything about it. If that is the position of the United States of America, of this administration, with reference to North Korea, how much more so with regard to Vladimir Putin's Russian Federation regime? How much more so with Xi Jinping's communist Chinese regime. North Korea, as I've said before, it's just a puppet, a marionette for communist China and North Korea. And if our administration's response with regard to North Korea is going to be handcuffed, hamstrung, how much more so if there is explicit attack from the big dogs, from the superpowers. The NATO members, the NATO member states, member nations, who are they concerned about attacking them? Really, this isn't with regard to terrorist attacks because all of these nations are engaging in coordination of intelligence and so on and so forth. Albeit very badly, as we see with Belgium and France. Incredible disconnect there. And it's courtesy of the brightest ones like Angela Merkel of Germany, who insists on completely open borders and welcoming all of the Islamists into the welfare state Germany and into the welfare state Europe, which the United Kingdom rebelled against with that shocking, unforeseen Brexit vote. And which was then followed by the shocking, unforeseen Donald Trump election in the United States of America. But who are these NATO member nations concerned about? Who are the European leaders concerned about? What kind of attack are they concerned could happen that would require the United States of America rushing to their aid and defense? Whether they will admit it or not, (laughs) whether they will come out and say it or not, It's from those two superpowers who supposedly are not superpowers. Those two superpowers, the Russian Federation of Vladimir Putin and the communist Chinese regime of Jinping. That's where the danger comes. That's where the enormous danger comes. There has been cooperation with regard to response to Islamist aggression, Islamist terror. What they're concerned about is what will the United States response be if there is attack from one or more superpowers, those superpowers being Putin's Russia and Jinping's communist Chinese regime. And again, I would just state that if the Trump administration is as reticent, if it has changed its tune to the extent that it has ever so recently with reference to North Korea, what is its stance going to be regarding Russia and China? Well, Chris Christie chose to try to put himself out there, to take advantage of what's going on with the presidential administration, to voice his great displeasure about General Flynn, that General Flynn, if he were in the White House, if Christie were the president, General Flynn would not even be allowed into the White House, let alone be considered for his team. If he were merely in charge of the Trump staff, if he were chief of staff, he didn't give any titles, but if he were chief of staff, if he were chief Trump advisor, anything like that, General Flynn would be persona non gratis. He would not be invited to the White House, he would not be permitted at the White House, much less named to an extremely powerful and sensitive post. And Chris Christie was only too happy to let the world know that he had communicated this to the president back before he was relieved of his transition team duties. And the whole tenor of what was said, of what was done, to me pointed towards two things, two objectives, two goals. One, to position himself to be drafted, as it were, by President Trump to help resolve the issues with his team to bail out the administration from these problems that are besetting it. So Chris Christie promoting himself. Tap me for a top job, and maybe I can help you resolve these problems. And then the second thing being, it's not too early to be letting everyone know that you really should be president. After all, we had none other than former Veep, Joseph Biden, doing this very same thing mere days ago. And Chris Christie then follows. And Chris Christie, I'm wondering if he wasn't taking a bit of uh, an example there from Joe Biden saying, well, I need to get out there too. I need to put my... my great resume out there before the American people show them that these problems would not be happening right now. If I was there, all of those Trump backers who thought I was too soft, <laughs> uh pun intended that I was too soft on this, that and the other thing that I wasn't conservative enough, that I wasn't strong enough against the establishment. If I were there, if I were running things for the president, this wouldn't be happening. We wouldn't be having these problems. And also, by extension, if I were the president, these things wouldn't be happening. Well, that's my take on it. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know. So if you missed the initial introduction... That's who I am. That's what this program is. The Donald, speaking of his team, Team Trump, the Donald has segued, hasn't he, in terms of his campaign team, which changed over and over and over and then finally got it right. So even though he kept making missteps and misstatements and all of that, his team got it right with Kellyanne Conway and the others whom we have heard so much about who became key figures in his administration. Mr. Priebus... And, of course, a former head of Breitbart. But he has transitioned, not to be speaking of the presidential transition, he has transitioned from one campaign team to another, to another. And the last one, with Bannon and Priebus and Kellyanne Conway, they got it right. And they got him elected, despite all of the self-inflicted damage, despite all of the harm that he caused himself. (laughs) The team got it right. They had a heck of a time controlling the candidate. And he insisted on engaging in some incredibly foolish, ridiculous folly via Twitter and so forth. But nonetheless... They got it right, they got him elected. Then it moved into literal transition mode. You know, back when he just hailed the great patriotic achievements of Hillary Rodham Clinton and then of Barack Hussein Obama and how indebted we are to these wonderful, wonderful Americans and so on and so forth. Back when they were already, they had for months had been engaged in trying to take him down, scuttle his candidacy. And now they transitioned over to their new campaign to pull the rug out from under him, to deny him the presidency, deny him being inaugurated. And then they transitioned to the most recent stage of that campaign in which they tried to get him impeached and yet he came out with these incredible outstandingly stupid blind ignorant false statements concerning Hillary Rodham Clinton and Barack Hussein Obama praising them to the hills and those immediately around them well Trump's team keeps, some would say, evolving, keeps changing, transitioning. And within the transition phase of coming up with his particular administration, his offspring and his son-in-law Played a pivotal role. And there has been great involvement since he has taken office. And the one that has come to be the most instrumental, along with his daughter Ivanka, is her husband, Jared. Kushner, Jared Kushner, J.K., J.K., in my view, is viewed by the president as Donald 2.0. And this golden boy, and golden boy may seem like the incorrect term because he's Jewish, but this golden boy... Has so much in common with his father in law. These two men, they personify the ultimate salesman. The ultimate salesmen or salespeople, but say salesman, as in the death of a salesman <laughs> with Lee Jacob. Here the ultimate salesmen who are all about the deal. All about the deal. The more advantageous the deal is for them and the more disadvantageous it is for the others, for those they snooker, the more successful, the more expert, the more satisfying the sale is, the negotiation is. I've worked in sales and I've never cared for it, but I've excelled in some comparatively extremely low-dollar kinds of capacities. And what I always loathed within the sales environment was those individuals who would lie, cheat, and steal in order to sell people, who would manipulate them, who would deceive them, who would engage in deception and duplicity and play fast and lose, fast and dirty, and, of course, made out like bandits as a result of it. Always loathed that, not envying them for their successes, but loathing how they operated, what they did. To me, that was just absolutely abhorrent. Well, what is abhorrent to me at low levels, low sales levels, is every bit as abhorrent, if not more so, at the higher end. And Donald Trump and Jared Kushner personify those characteristics, those qualities. There's an article in the New York Times, the Grey Lady, uh, the New York Times. Uh, I am not in the habit of recommending the New York Times, but this article is entitled Jared Kushner's Other Real Estate Empire. I apologize, I don't have the name of the the author, (laughs) the journalist who contributed it, but makes for fascinating reading. It's long. (laughs) It's a long article, long column, but it's fascinating. And what it, in a nutshell, what it talks about is, it gives a little bit of background with regard to Jared Kushner and his extremely high-end aspirations and successes. But it also... And for the most of the article, for the largest part of it, it refers to transactions with people at the lower end of the strata of society. Not dirt poor, but nonetheless, people that are in need and who are being... Manipulated and exploited and abused greedily, covetously, dishonestly, dishonorably. Oh yes, legally, by lawyers, by law groups, through the courts, using the courts, but behaving extremely dishonorably. They're all manner of things that are legal but immoral. They're all manner of decisions that are reached by courts. They're legal, but they're unjust, unrighteous, vile, lewd, profane, perverse miscarriages of justice. But they're legal. But I do recommend that article to you to get some enlightenment regarding who these people are, Jared Kushner and his father-in-law, even though his father-in-law is really not referenced in the article to speak of. But they have very similar backgrounds. They both inherited family businesses, family real estate businesses. So they were moguls out of the chute, out of the starting gate but they greatly have expanded those minor empires, greatly increased them by hook and crook with intelligence, with savvy, with chutzpah, and then some. And so as far as... I'm concerned I believe that Donald Trump views Jared Kushner as just his boy. <laughs> you know, two peas out of the same pod. We we think the same way. We do this that and the other thing the same way. And he has promoted Jared Kushner to position of great responsibility, great influence, as chief advisor, and not one that should be, in my view. I mean, the behavior, this bad behavior that is referenced in this article, and that can be seen down through the years with the Donald, so forth, not not referring to personal immorality, sexual immorality, and so forth. But this this other deal-making, this dishonesty, this duplicity, this gamesmanship, this kind of bad behavior motivated by greed, covetousness, lust, so forth— It's the bad behavior, not that Donald Trump is Jewish, but it's the bad behavior by some Jews that has been used, exploited down through the years to condemn and persecute all Jews. And Jared Kushner obviously personifies that. And Donald Trump does, except that he's not Jewish. But again, it's the kind of behavior, misbehavior, bad behavior, that has been used to generalize to all Jews and condemn them and persecute them and seek to destroy them. Well, speaking of the president's big trip, what he referred to as my big trip, yes, it's been tarnished by this terrorist attack in Manchester. But not just by that, but by the start, Saudi Arabia and receiving this highest award from the king Uh, Just an aside on that, the matter of there was uproar about a promise of, I don't know, something like $150 million worth of military support to Saudi Arabia. It's a drop in the bucket. We have been doing that administration after administration after administration for, lo, these many decades, and we have been training— their Air Force, training their officers, training all of their pilots, as well as supplying them with all of this weaponry, which is remarkable because, guess what? They are uh, the only (laughs) Air Force that can, you know, really gravely threaten Israel. And meanwhile, of course, the royal family in Saudi Arabia has bankrolled so much Islamist terrorism against Israel, against, (laughs) ironically, against the United States of America. And in addition to that, Saudi Arabia, true to its, its Islamist, Islamic calling, has been viciously brutal to Christians who are not Americans. Americans who have been rounded up for proselytizing or evangelizing in Saudi Arabia have been imprisoned and then deported and so forth. But missionaries, evangelists from Philippines, from South Korea, have been beheaded And last time I looked, those nations were friends of ours, allies of ours. And of course, from Taiwan, which we can't have anything to do with Taiwan. But we're good buddies with Saudi Arabia. It's wrong. It's horribly, horribly, horribly wrong. And this administration is continuing in the same bloody footprints as the administrations for the past many decades in that regard. But speaking of President Trump's big trip, he went to Vatican City. He had an audience with the Pope, the Papa, and the Pope used that opportunity to push an agenda item dear to him and dear to leftists around the world, dear to one world government regime leftists bent on succeeding in establishing that hegemony around the world. And that is insisting on demanding that President Trump get on board with the Paris Accord on. Global climate change. So, what is this about global climate change? Just a couple <laughs> moments on it, but cycles in climate on this earth have changed, gone round and round, as long as this earth has been spinning around. And, of course, the geniuses would have us believe that's been for, my word, at least hundreds of billions of years, not mere thousands of years. But the greatest contributors to climate change, apart from just the passage of time, are things which cannot be controlled Volcanoes, earthquakes resulting in magma being exposed, what have you. But volcanoes all around the world, volcanic eruptions, not to mention uh, the enormous air pollution courtesy of China, India and so forth. But the greatest contributors are natural contributors and they cannot be reined in. They cannot be controlled. So it is bogus, but in addition to that, if this Pope believed the Bible, he would know that there is going to be massive climate change like these great experts cannot even envision or imagine, and it's going to be coming from sources other than pollution. And it is going to be utterly devastating to the entire world. How far off it is, I can't say. But it's nearer every day. And it's not something there is any way to control. And God has foretold it. But... The president allowed himself to be used by the Pope, to be outflanked by the Pope. What a shocker. And what did he get for it? Well, I imagine that he thinks that he won gravy points with some people out there, with with the Catholics, with the Roman Catholics, perhaps even with, he's thinking with the Eastern Orthodox, uh, how he would think that, I don't know, but, but he does come up with some interesting ideas, so maybe he thinks that too. And uh, I'm sure he had some great ideas. But these world leaders on the leftist agenda, they are very well represented in Europe. They're very well represented by these European leaders. They're represented in NATO. They're represented in the UK. Prince Philip, one of the great believers, one of the true believers, has said openly that he wishes that when he dies he could come back as a killer virus and eliminate billions of people. That's right. That's Queen Elizabeth's Husband. This is grandfather to Harry, Prince Harry and Prince William. He wishes he could come back after his death as a killer virus and wipe out billions of people in order to save the world. Let's eliminate the people to save the world. Same exact. Thoughts as those held by Ted Turner, founder of his wonderful media empire, and so forth. But these thoughts are held near and dear by many, many, many of the movers and shakers behind the scenes. They are anti-people, they are anti-humane, but they are anti-God, anti-Christ, even though to the outside world, oh, they're, they're Christians and what have you. No. They are anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-humane, anti-people. And if they had their way, billions of people would be slaughtered to accomplish their agenda. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you.